0: Bart, I've asked you not to whistle that annoying tone.
1: up everybody and welcome back once again to simpsons is greater than a podcast where we take a look at the cultural impact of everybody's favorite nuclear family i know they're mine the simpsons as always i'm your host warren better known to some of you as bart of darkness You might have seen my Simpsons collection on Instagram and Twitter. Be honest, it's great, isn't it? Go ahead and say it's great if you want to. But if not, when you're done with this episode, go check it out. This episode is with Bob and Henry from the Talking Simpsons podcast. And if you're not familiar with the Talking Simpsons podcast, one, you're lying, and two, they go through every episode of The Simpsons chronologically, and they really bring their A-game when it comes to facts about the show, facts about people that worked on the show, and it's just all around great. So let's get into the interview so you can hear how they got into The Simpsons. Episode 3. Let's go. So I guess we'll go ahead and kick it off. Um, and what I really want to know uh, from you guys right away is, Aside from recording your insanely long list of podcasts, (laughs) uh, how how have you guys been passing the time these last few months? What have you guys been up to? Mm, Oh, God.
2: Uh, I've, uh, I don't know, it's more of a gaming renaissance for me playing video games in that I never stop playing video games. My other podcast is a video game podcast, but now I am just playing a lot of things for fun. And that's been a lot of fun to do, actually finishing video games for once instead of just playing the five to (laughs) 20 hours of one and then moving on to the next one. So... That's been a good way to kill the time, for me at least.
0: Yeah, no, I've been gaming a lot more too. I started up and I hadn't played an Assassin's Creed game in forever. And then I picked up the most recent one and I played 90 hours of wow. it. Just 90 uh, and did every single thing you can do in the main story. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot of gaming for me, but also I've been... Uh, you know, trying to watch more stuff that we're not necessarily going to do an episode about anytime soon. But I'm thinking like, boy, in the future, I want to do episode, Cartoon X. I should really uh, watch like 10 episodes of it or whatever. And and I've been pushing myself to read more like books on animation history just to deepen my knowledge. Right now I'm reading the really cool uh, autobiography of Awao Takamoto The uh, creator, well Yeah, I'm going to say creator of Scooby-Doo Like he designed all the characters In Scooby-Doo and a million other shows And it's, it's such an interesting story Because he's, you know, first generation Japanese-American, he was put In the internment camps during World War II And then second it was over he got hired Like with no training To Disney in the, in the late 40s and he's just such an interesting Guy, like so that's that's mainly it though i still i do think for me and bob a lot of the stuff we do on the side that isn't podcasting ultimately can be integrated into podcast (laughs) work in some way just to not i it does sometimes feel like like am i wasting time by Mm. not doing something that could enrich your
1: podcast better monetize this free time (laughs) yeah i mean to be honest you know quarantine um has been such an interesting time because i feel like you know uh, there's going to be a lot of animation pitch. There's going to be a lot of podcasts. There's going to be a lot of things like this um, that are a result directly of this quarantine. And I, you know, this is something I wanted to do anyway. Uh, I was just looking for a good excuse to do it. Um, but I definitely think we're going to see an influx of uh, content like this. And anything you can do from home, you're going to see a lot of it.
2: I personally want to see podcasts become the dominant form of entertainment, <laughs> a rising, yeah. uh rising water lifts all ships or whatever. So, yes, more people, the better.
0: Yeah. I, you know, and other things I really liked recently in the new podcasts that are coming out was like the the Russo brothers who were the directors of, you know, Infinity War and Endgame. And things that aren't Marvel. Uh, They they directed, uh, they did a series of uh, video podcasts of Jim just like super deconstructing movie scripts in their favorite movies, like No Country for Old Men or Back to the Future. And they're really great. Though I will say they did it for two months straight and then they're like, Oh, it's our season finale. We yeah. got to take a break. I was like, you guys don't have the stamina that me and Bob. See, have.
2: I'm actually, I'm anti-celebrities podcasting because they need to know when they sign up, you do one a week forever. You
0: never
1: stop. That's
2: You're the deal with the devil them. you sign when you no, do it.
1: Season finale. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, you know, my, my biggest comfort slash mistake uh, during this quarantine um, has been that I've started drinking soda again. I I sort of gave up soda for years. I would have one at the movies and things like that from time to time, maybe with dinner, but have you guys had any bad or good Mm. habits sort of come back during this, uh, quarantine for you?
2: I uh, This is not like a humble brag or whatever, but I've been v- weirdly disciplined during quarantine. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I like gamifying my life because I'm a weirdo, but it's just like I've gotten uh, more into fitness, more into cooking, and uh, actually less into vices i don 't know what my problem is, and it 's probably very irritating to a lot of your listeners <laughs> <laughs> saying uh, oh i 'm very healthy now, but uh, I guess it's just uh, i 'm trying to stay strong because I 'm separated from my fiance, and I want to stay you know strong and disciplined and healthy until we can uh, see each other again because she is in Canada. We were supposed to get married uh, during all of this actually, uh, so I think that's my my major motivator is you know staying strong and healthy for her and for the future of us, so uh, I guess I have that on my side at least.
0: Uh, Yeah, I actually started a good habit myself. I was worried that I'd be too shut in and not go anywhere. And so, you know, obviously, while following all the guidelines, mask and distance and everything, once a day, I just go through like a 30-minute walk through my neighborhood just to like, honestly it just feels good to see that the world still exists outside of my house. Like, and it's a nice little walk. Uh, so, uh, you know, I've been a lot more active and also started up the, another game I've been playing a lot is ring Fit, uh, the, the exercise game on the switch. And so I've, I have been more active too. You know, I've lost, I've lost a little weight since the, uh, lockdown started and you know, in, in where we live, the lockdown started, as early as it did, as it did anywhere in America, I think. So we've, we've had a lot of time. I think, uh, I mean, I guess bad habit, any bad habit I've done in it has just been more like, Oh, I'll just listen to every podcast. just like lay down, listen to every <laughs> podcast all the time. While I play, that's really why I played 90 hours of Assassin's Creed because it was so easy to just like pause a podcast for a cutscene Then, Listen to a podcast for like twenty minutes and then finish the level I was in like that's I listened to all of the audiobook for disney war the the thing about michael Eisner's uh, time at Disney right that audiobook is twenty eight hours long uh-huh. and and I finished it in like two weeks so that's that's how much I've been indulging in
1: podcasts jeez well it's funny because I when it when quarantine first started, I, I definitely I don't want to make this the quarantine special. It's just mm-hmm. obviously it's such a big part of our lives right now. Um, I started off playing a lot of video games. I got PS now, and I was like, you know what? I haven't been playing games much. I'm gonna I'm gonna finally play Horizon. I'm gonna finally play Control. I'm gonna play all these games. Um, but I honestly haven't played as many as I thought I would. And recently, I made the mistake of starting Cuphead. Uh, as it got put on p s four and it is just uh torturing my life beyond anything I can imagine,
2: oh yeah, I put down cuphead uh after I bought it uh because I'm like i need to uh this needs to be like a goal in my life, but I can't <laughs> develop myself to it right now, but I really respect what that game does
0: yeah that's that's the games i I don't play as much for podcast listening because they're too engaged. It's like, oh, this game asks too much of me. Like I can, for Assassin's Creed, I get so used to the pattern of it that I can just fall, or like uh, Dragon Quest, like, or any RPG. Those, I can just fall into the pattern easily, and I'm not too challenged. But like Cuphead demands you pay attention. Like you, you
1: cannot miss anything in that game. It's it's one of the hardest games I've ever played. It my my wife can't even watch it on the screen. She <laughs> said it makes her nauseous. Like it's just too much going on at once. It's it's sort of insane. But um, I'm gonna get there. I'm like forty nine percent. I'm gonna get there. Oh, you're making progress. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously, you guys host my favorite Simpsons podcast. Oh, uh, you do, aw, you thank you do you. you. do you do research that makes my head spin? You pump out a ton of content. Uh, for anyone who isn't familiar with you, which I find hard to believe. Uh, Could you sort of just give a rundown of what you guys do on the show?
2: sure uh, so the podcast is Talking Simpsons and since uh, 2015 we've been going through every episode in order uh, we recently revisited the first season because uh, we were very uh, green doing it the first time so and as time has gone on we have a Patreon for it, it became our full-time jobs and now uh, we devote a lot of time to the podcast and they end up being pretty long And we go into like every reference the history of the show the history of the writers and directors behind the show just like we mine every nugget out of every episode uh for the fullest treatment possible
0: yeah i i come to it with the, each episode with the thinking of like if this is the only time i ever talk about this episode of simpsons on a podcast i don't want to leave one grain of information overlooked of like if there's if there's a reference to like uh, U B Blake or whatever. Right? I'm like, well, I have to find out everything about this guy. Or like, well, plus a lot of our our guests, you know, they also push us to do it more too. We just did the one for hate misbehaving with our friend Chris Kohler. And he did so much research on the history of like octuplets and or just multiple births that it it pushes us to to keep up with that as well. Like yeah, we and and uh, we also you know work hard to get good guests to, to fit for it all the same with not just you know Interviews with folks who worked on The Simpsons, but also with uh, you know other people who work in the entertainment industry, or or animators, or other podcasters who we know are like big time Simpsons fans too. Uh, so it's it's a lot of fun with going through all of it chronologically. And now we're, you know, we're getting into season 11, we're getting into the double digit season. So, which when we started in 2015, we joked about like, what are we going to do when we get to the mod episode? And <laughs> now, now the day is here, but it all feels, it feels normal. Like we were terrified of that Armin Tamzarian episode for so long, but it was great. It was great to do that one. And we've been, we've, uh, we've been being better ever since, since that one too.
1: Well, you know, I, I can say, um, any Anyone who has followed me for a while on Instagram knows that like, I actually advocate pretty hard for newer seasons. Um, and, and it's not that I think they're better. I just think that there's – I think they're quite different. And I think you just have to sort of appreciate them in a different way. And I'm, I'm, ex- I'm so excited to hear you guys go through uh, the newer seasons. I am particularly excited to hear you get uh, – when you get to 15, mm-hmm. because I think 15 and 16 are definitely like sleeper seasons. And I'm really excited to hear what you guys think when you get to that point.
2: Yeah, I'm excited too. We, we've broken out of the uh, quote-unquote classic or golden era of like one to nine, most people consider. And I found that it's still such a worthwhile show to talk about, especially like the context of when these shows came out and what they're referencing. Uh, and they're, they're not as talked about, obviously, as the earlier ones. So they're going to be uh, maybe even more fun for us to discover uh, new things and to talk about new things in these episodes.
0: It's right. been it's been a real experience to go back to these. Uh, we we've recorded it, but it's not out yet. The one we uh, for Saddleback Galactica, and in my memory, you know, as a seventeen-year-old watching it the first time, I thought like mm, I don't like this, and I just remembered it as a as a negative memory for the episode, and that just kind of like buried deep in me. But when we rewatched it for this, I was like. Oh, this is full of funny jokes like it's just packed with jokes is it a wacky wacky episode that also is like um almost daring fans to not like it with their worst episode ever stuff in it maybe so but it works really hard to be funny there's a lot of really good jokes in it and so uh, so far going through season 11 has just been a lot of surprises of like oh that was funny and I thought even that you know the controversial mod episode when we did it I didn't feel as negative as I previously had you know I still I still didn't love it I'm not going to say I <laughs> loved the, the death of mod, but I wasn't I thought for sure I'd have just this, this energized screed of like they ruined everything ah but <laughs> but I, I did not have that to, to spoil our mod podcast before I listeners here. I I don't get that angry.
1: Clearly, you know, I want to thank you guys for joining me so early into the podcast. Um, I'm a day one listener. And I think that what you guys um, bring to the table will be a perfect example of sort of why I'm doing this podcast in the first place, which um, is to talk to creative people who have taken a fandom of the Simpsons and turned it into an opportunity or, you know, taken influence from it in their careers. And, I think that's gonna be an interesting conversation to have with a lot of people. So what made The Simpsons stand out to a young Hank and a young Bob?
2: Oh, uh-huh.
0: well, yeah, for, for me with The Simpsons, I I was watching Fox with my family when I was like six, I I would guess based on when, they, when it aired, but like the Tracy Ullman show was a show my mom really liked. And I think my dad, I think we all watched it together. But when the family watched it together, I was kind of bored by it until a cartoon appeared. And just seeing a cartoon on a grown-up show instantly took my attention. And that then followed, that was in the last year of them on Tracy Ullman. So when the Christmas special came out, that was like the most important day of my life, (laughs) it felt then. And, you know, it grew over time. At first, I did just like it, like I was seven when it premiered and the eight when it premiered no seven and when i was watching it i just liked it as like the funny cartoon show that said dirty words that i can't say like that's that's why i liked it and as i grew with the show i it just informed my sense of humor so much and it was just an in worldview like the the cynicalness of the show the the humor of the show the the smartness of the show and just the character design animation of it, it all just spoke to me so much that like, it's it just defied my childhood i mean too it was i definitely was falling into the zeitgeist of like yeah i want to buy the bart toys i want to own the bart uh video games all these the bart things but it was the quality of the show that stuck around like i didn't stay a fan of ninja turtles even though i bought every ninja (laughs) turtle toy i could but the simpsons kept staying that good that i i stuck with it into teen years
2: Yeah, my story is the same as Henry's, and a lot of it for me was also just... that, you know, growing up watching way too much TV, being a latchkey kid, watching like seven to nine hours, maybe even more of that a day, just because uh, there's no one watching me. They're all busy working. Uh, I watch a lot of TV before The Simpsons and I would keep watching The Simpsons because, well, it was a cartoon and it looked really cool. But also I would see new kinds of jokes and new kinds of stories expanding my brain as to like the possibilities of, of writing and comedy. And that was a big part of it for me.
1: Yeah, I I always tell, well, I've told the story before, I should say that, you know, I had a single mom growing up and she worked a lot of nights when I was very young and uh, she didn't really get to monitor a lot of the TV that we watched. So I think, you know, things like Married with Children and The Simpsons, just at a very young age, I was like, oh, this this is what I like. Like, this is the kind of humor for me. And, you know, luckily when my mom finally saw it, um, she, she thought it was funny. She didn't really like Duckman when she caught me watching that. But, uh, Sim- Simpsons. She was a little cool with I'm, I'm just a little bit younger than you guys. So I think maybe she thought duck man was just a, maybe a little too adult. Um, but you know,
2: it definitely was. Yeah.
0: Now though I watched that with my dad all the time. He loved Duckman. I think he was a bigger fan of Duckman than Simpsons, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, well, you know, we've noticed this thing when we interview uh when we have on guests who are like our age that they have like one of two types of parents uh that their their parents either didn't like the Simpsons and thought it was dirty and they wouldn't let them watch it. So they grew up watching it in secret or other uh, people who had, you know, luckier with, with cooler parents who were just like, no, yeah, watch the Simpsons. You don't, you don't want to be left out on the playground with all your friends who watch the Simpsons.
2: Yeah. I think I watched it with my parents uh, pretty regularly until around season six or so, not like every episode. Like I would always watch it, but they'd be watching it with me up until like the mid nineties, I think.
0: And I think too it really helped that uh we started watching the Simpsons around when we bought a VCR like oh, yeah. we we were so excited to have a VCR you could watch your old TV anytime you wanted and so we from the first episode we were taping every episode of the Simpsons and like we it just turned into a thing of like oh well, it's the new Simpsons we have to record it like the, the keeping the VHS of all of our Simpsons copies together was part of our uh, family enjoyment of it like and who would rec- control the recording and uh, who would hit pause at the wrong time to not get commercials I wish I'd kept in every commercial now I, uh, those commercials are just as priced to me <laughs> as my memories of uh, of watching the show itself
1: yeah, me, me too. I, I filmed a lot. I recorded a lot of stuff off TV, even like basketball games and stuff. I don't know why I thought I wanted to keep watching those. But I, I always um, would try to trim out the commercials up to a certain point when I just gave up. And I really wish I had always left them in. There's just so much gold in those commercials.
2: Yeah, I was a compulsive taper. That should surprise nobody who listens to these podcasts. And I just had a, an entire wall of my bedrooms with just stacks of tapes. Mm-hmm. It was like, I need to tape everything.
1: Yeah. Science theater, every Simpsons, all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny that you bring that up because I was going to ask, you know, you guys did talk a lot or you do talk a lot on the podcast about how often you recorded VHSs. And do you think that the ability to rewatch and analyze that stuff sort of puts you on the path that led you to what you do for a career now?
2: I would say being friendless was a huge part of it too. Just like uh, the TV will be my friend. But yeah, watching these, like being obsessed with these shows like The Simpsons and Mystery Science Theater that you would get more out of by rewatching definitely helped me do what I do today. Just being very obsessive and wanting to find all the hidden stuff and get every joke, things like that uh, made me uh, more uh, disciplined and attentive uh, viewer of these shows.
0: Yeah, through repetition, it just kind of, uh, you know, clawed into my brain. And the summers, like every, every summer for years and years when it would be my brother and I just home, uh, we would each be like, well, I'm taking this Simpsons tape today and I'm just going to have it on while I play like Game Boy or whatever. And then he's like, all right, well, I take, I'm, you can have season five. I'm doing season four Then, well, we didn't even say seasons. We just said, well, this, we marked on him. Like this is 93, January, 93 to June 93. And, and also though, if I, I now think back, like we always taped them at the lowest quality because we wanted to be able to just hit play on an eight hour tape of Simpsons <laughs> and just know we have eight hours of Simpsons instead of changing it out. Like, yeah, the, that probably did lend a lot to like, uh, of our obsession with it. Cause I'm sure there were kids in say the seventies who were as obsessed with, you know, the Incredible Hulk show as we were with The Simpsons, but if they didn't have a way to tape it off television to re-watch it over and over again, that kind of is a barrier to uh, memorizing the show or, or being as big a fan as you could be. Like, The Simpsons came around in, in really a perfect time for the type of show it was and how densely packed with details it was.
1: Yeah, it's 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 definitely a perfect storm. And I think that, you know, luckily, The Simpsons also was pretty early to releasing, like they did those best of VHS uh, sets in the in the '90s, and they had like the, you know, I talked about this when I spoke to Bill Oakley. They had the one tape that had uh, "Who Shot Mister Burns?" one and two on it, which was just like you know, perfect you know, in, a, in a world before DVDs. So, um, yeah, it was awesome. I think that
0: summer, uh, I think that was the point of no return for me as a Simpsons fan because I I had been. Uh, you know, a major Simpsons fan for the first five years, but that summer of who shot Mr. Burns where seriously Uh five times a week, me and my brother rewatched that episode, trying to figure out the secrets. Like that was the obsessiveness that really, that truly made us hardcore fans, like just going over it. And yet we still, I will always be kicking myself every day that the, that the key Clue I missed was the pardon my zinger comedy central uh, thing in Mo's bar. Like it's just that that was because I thought it was Smithers. I said the whole time my brother I was like, Yeah, Smingers did it. I said, <laughs> uh, and yet I and I was wrong because I missed that one clue, even though I watched it so many times.
1: Yeah, it's it's one of the greatest episodes. And um, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna roast Bill about that the next time I talk to him because when I asked him how you know, how weird was it writing uh, two episodes like that and having to keep the secrets. He was like, ah, oh, no one cared. I'm like, Bill, what are you talking <laughs> about? I cared so much. Like I cared so much.
2: That's what um, I, I love talking to Bill and Josh about that stuff because they're like the things we were doing on the show. Nobody liked. <laughs> the kids <laughs> watching it at the time, liked it and they, and they love it now. It's popular now, but people were like, what the hell are those guys doing mm-hmm. in season seven and eight?
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny to look at that now. Um, so I, I guess, you know, a second part to that question really is how do you think, Um, that the Simpsons played a part in your life creatively, like aside from just loving the show and obsessing over it and leading you on this path to where you are, do you think that you would have ever been interested in a creative endeavor um, if it wasn't for a show like the Simpsons?
0: Probably not. I mean, if there wasn't the Simpsons, I'd have liked other, I I mean, I was super into MST3K. I was super into other, comedy shows, so I probably would have been a comedy nerd if Simpsons didn't exist, but i i don't think i'd have cared as much and also i mean a big thing for me not just being a super fan of the show but also their early dvd commentaries demystified so much of the creative process yeah. for me and informed me that it it made it feel more possible now obviously though i didn't have the i didn't uh, give get the guts to actually write a script uh, or try to be a comedy writer but uh, definitely it influenced me to like be more creative. Like, oh, these the people who wrote this aren't just some shadowy group of figures who wrote The Simpsons. They're they're people just like me who sat down and wrote a joke. So yeah, I think I think that did influence me a bit.
2: Yeah, same here. I mean, I, I uh, one of the things I d- I used to do that wasn't as notable as the podcast is I, I was a comedy writer, not for television or anything. I wrote for a website for like 15 years and The Simpsons was a huge part of inspiring me. Like, I want to make things that are as funny. I want to think up new kinds of jokes, Uh, you know, have social commentary that's just as good. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of time for that now, but I really was definitely inspired by The Simpsons to the point where people were like, I think that's a Simpsons joke. And I was like, no, I made it up. I swear it's my own. (laughs) It's a danger of being so...
0: um, It's a danger of having so much of it memorized that sometimes, and, and other stuff too, that you bury the information to a degree. That then, when you think you came up with a funny, like thing to say in the, in the moment, then you realize, like, oh, crap! I just stole. I stole from the Simpsons without even realizing it. Like, it's 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 dangerous, you know. Also, often we. Intentionally say something like, Hey, remember that line from The Simpsons? or like, like the thing I just said of Smingers. But when you're trying to be original and then you accidentally say a joke you've heard on The Simpsons, it's uh, it can be a little embarrassing, but that's uh, yeah, I think I, you know, when I got into uh, my job before podcasting was writing for websites uh for video game websites in in the games press and i tried to be as funny as possible because of that but i i also think too i i had wished i had pushed myself more creatively in like comedy writing like bob did some of the stuff he wrote one of my the favorite things i've i've seen bob wrote i think maybe the funniest thing is the uh I don't want to ruin the joke of it, but it was the, <laughs> the detective who's bad at describing things. That was, uh, it's a, a parody of a like Dashwell Hammett novel, but it's a, it's a uh, hard boiled detective who is actually terrible at making similes and metaphors. <laughs> I, I love that one so much, Bob.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, the, you know, and the reason I asked that question is I, I know to some people they might think like, well, you know, you know, how can you give credit to a show for making you creative, but I think the Simpsons a lot like what Henry said, um, I think it showed people that comedy was different. Like you said, you know, it's regular people writing jokes. And I, I think that that sort of even for me as a young kid, it, it changed the way I viewed um, comedy, it changed the way I looked at a lot of funny things.
2: Yeah, for a lot of it for me was, uh, I think it was showing me as a kid, the secrets of the adult world that I, I was dying to know about. And um, as a kid, uh, in uh, I went to Catholic school and I was like, I hate church. I feel no connection to any of this. Uh, is there something wrong with me? Like, this is so boring. I'd rather be anywhere else and learning about anything else. And then I watched the show. I'm like, no the show confirms my belief this is all very very boring and I was correct to be very bored by all of it so uh things like that were very affirming for me as a kid thinking like oh like something out there understands me
0: yeah yeah and same for me like I was a big comic book nerd even in like 1992 and when in three men in a comic book came out uh, and i was just like oh bart is a comic book nerd like me he goes to comic conventions and it it spoke to me through the show in in an affirming way that that i really liked and as i and as i became nerdier and they had nerdier stuff in it, i especially think bill and josh really know the nerdiness that it speaks to me so well even in the in, in mission hill even more so i'd say they just understand like oh yeah this is this i these were things I I said as a teenager and not, and then, and then Kevin would say it on mission Hill. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it was affirming it a, a creatively in a way too, for sure.
1: I, I can really relate to what Bob said. I grew up in, I grew up in Mississippi, which is, uh, you know, I don't recommend right. it. And, um, <laughs> you know, I grew up in a religious family and the Simpsons was definitely one of those things where I was like, oh, I'm not the only one that, that hates going to church. I'm not the only one that hates mm-hmm. these things. And so, yeah, I can, I can totally agree with that. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so I, I guess, you know, another big question is, uh, how did you guys become friends? And more importantly, how did you decide to start working together? How did it really come together for you guys?
2: Well, we became friends because uh, we were both were in the games press at the time. And it's a very small pool of people, especially uh, the people who live in our city of Berkeley. So that really brought us together, just uh, knowing about each other's work.
0: Yeah, I was a big fan of what Bob was doing with uh with his co-host on it, Jeremy Parrish, on the Retronauts podcast. And, you know, for the longest time I, I was like, Oh, I wish I was good enough to be on Retronauts, <laughs> but I would never even ask. And I but I, I I just really loved what uh what they were doing. And like I I loved Rob, Bob's writing too. And so we would see each other at events and stuff in like the early 2010s, but I think it was at some point Bob invited me on a Retronauts, and that's when we realized we had, like, a really good chemistry just talking to each other and and podcasting together. Plus, we just connected of, like, oh, we all, me and him both just listen to podcasts all the time. We are just obsessed with podcasts. And uh, over time in the games press, I think we realized that, like, you know, we liked we liked playing games and reviewing them and writing news and all that stuff. But, Really, for me at least, I'll just speak for me. The the treat was at the end of the week when I could do a podcast about all the things I'd written <laughs> about during that week. And and eventually we realized, like, well, why are we just doing podcasts? Why are we Why are we doing all this other stuff to let us do podcasts? Let's just do a podcast full time.
2: No, I feel the same way. In fact, like it does feel for me at least like the most worthwhile stuff I did at that time was podcasting because it's the, all those websites are closed now, but people <laughs> kept the podcast up somewhere. Mm-hmm. So no one's retaining the writing <laughs> they're like no these <laughs> podcasts must be preserved so i feel like i think i was having the most fun and doing my best work there anyways
0: and and when we decided to do the simpsons podcast together i think uh, part of it was seeing like there was i for me i remember there was the kumail nanjiani hosted x-files podcast uh, where he was doing every episode of x-files and me and bob you know, like most Simpsons nerds when talking to each other, we would do Simpsons references as like the secret language between <laughs> us. So we both knew each other's like Simpsons knowledge was deep. So we're just like, I, I had the thought of like, what, what if we just did? We, they're doing this thing for the X-Files. We could do the same thing for the Simpsons. Couldn't we? Like, and uh, I know Bob had another series that, that uh, uh, podcast series. I was like, yeah, they, it was go Bayside. Yeah. Go
2: Bayside was, uh, by April Richardson. Um, um it's now defunct because she went through all the episodes but yeah. i was listening to that and loving it and i was like there's got to be a simpsons one and, and i need to be on it mm-hmm. and at that point there were uh, several other uh podcasts
0: yeah though we try i the challenge was uh to not listen to them because i was just worried like uh, if i hear if i hear their observations this could like a poison mine, or like not poison, but I mean, I'll just go like, oh, what? It 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 just keeps it cleaner to to not listen to other people's Simpsons podcasts. Yeah. For all the podcasts I listen to, even though like we we recorded multiple times with with Allie and Julia of everything's coming up Simpsons, and now Round Springfield is their their current show, and they're great. We we love those those two, but uh, but I I also was like uh, even, even before we knew them, I was scared to listen to it because I was Me like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want it to inform how how we do the show.
1: Well, you know, let me, don't, don't be scared of me guys. Cause I'm not stepping on your toes at all <laughs> you guys. You guys can love and support my podcast. I think you'll really like it. Um, but I know, you know, it's true. I, since I, you know, I said I've been listening since day one and when I would see other ones come up and maybe some of them have been around longer, I don't think most of them have. Um, I just, I don't think anybody does it like you guys. So you know, not to blow you up, but mm-hmm. I'll give you well, we do confidence. have the
2: benefit of uh, doing it as a full-time thing. And we were doing this uh, originally on top of a uh, full-time job and other podcasts too. So I will say those aren't those episodes aren't as good because we didn't have the time to devote to them like we do now. And we were also very uh, miserable from uh, being in the industry that we were in. So that yeah, didn't help.
0: We finished our full-time jobs that we were not enjoying and then record the podcast together but we would we would be like exhausted or just spent from a day at work and just it uh and yeah it was hard to fit in the notes in between or get all the right sounds or like yeah i mean that like like bob said earlier well reason we did redid season one and why we would consider maybe redoing some others is just that we, we didn't give them the proper time and context. Plus uh, uh, when we did seasons one uh, and two, for example, like those, we were just going off the commentaries. Like we had done no other research And now we've interviewed – like, we've done over two dozen interviews with folks, and we've learned so much we didn't know before that completely changes uh, what we thought we knew about the show when we did those old ones. Like, so it's – that's why now we really push ourselves to – to learn as much as we can about it. And if we don't know, then we try to, you know, find if we can, like a John VD that we, we interviewed a couple months back and just asked like, Hey, why are there four credited writers on crepes <laughs> of wrath? And, and the answer is because they wrote a first draft in the writer's room because they were on a, a hard deadline. And so they just all banged it out together in one
1: day. <laughs> well, you know, by, by the time you guys get through it all, um, I'm sure you can just start over again. So
2: we have, well, I think, if they if they stop making episodes now, I think we have like nine years left of uh, podcasts to make.
1: Yeah,
0: we we average about two seasons a year, though. So I think a little less now. And yeah, if we if they stop making now, we it would take us uh, in five years we'd be in the twenties, I think, maybe.
1: So you know, I, I want to know in in you guys and your in your expert opinion, um, what do you think it is about the show? Um, that makes it so attractive to people of all ages, even people that, you know, they're not old enough to get a lot of the jokes. They're not old enough to get a lot of the references. Why is it that a 16 year old, 17 year old kid now can watch season three and still just love it? What do you, what do you think causes that?
2: I think just uh, the appeal of animation is so universal that uh, any age group can get into it now, especially that it's cool for adults to watch cartoons But even if you don't get all the jokes you uh, will think like, well, here's something I can ask somebody about. Here's something I can look up. like, Or like it's something naughty that like you're, again, you're being led into the world of like secret adult knowledge. <laughs> I'm sure I like, I know for a fact when I'm revisiting these shows, I'm like, I, I couldn't have known this reference to Nixon or uh whatever, like any political thing, any like 60s or 70s pop culture thing. But I knew it's like, that's a thing that I should know about. So like in a way, it caused me to seek out these things before the internet, like to find out what they were.
0: Yeah, I, I think too the lasting popularity of it is like that they, you know, a lot of shows in the 90s, they had specific, they, they did very specific things like if they were going to do a Schwarzenegger thing on on SNL they were straight up say Arnold Schwarzenegger but for Simpsons they knew you knew who that person was so when they invent McBain you know the reference but it's it's its own thing like that's that's something I think that adds a lot to the timelessness of it that you can see you see a Siskel and Ebert parody but they're not calling each other Siskel and Ebert it's just it kind of has to stand on its own as like well-designed characters and funny jokes hmm. that come through that the extra spice to it is if you know uh, the Siskel and Ebert show at the time <laughs> then it's even funnier to you but it kind of has to stand on its own and then on top of that I think too the a, a huge thing that doing this podcast has taught me is the writers are great and the voice actors are great on Simpsons but I I for much of my life I underappreciated the artistry of the show like of the animation side of it and in those early in the first decade especially the the animation is just so creative and like pulls off so much incredible stuff for when I know what the timetable now and budget of a tv show is that the the artists who worked on it did such a great job! Like the, it's one thing to write a funny joke on a script, and those and the jokes are clear in the script. If you just read a script and you're like, yeah, it's a, that's a super funny joke in a script, but it lives or dies by who draws it and the execution of jokes through funny drawings. Just seeing Homer, you know, run Homer show off his giant bottom for being stung by the bee, <laughs> like that's just such a great image to see. That's the timelessness of it. That comes through thanks to great art supporting great jokes
2: yeah I think we've done a good job highlighting the artistic side of the show and also dispelling a lot of the the conventional wisdom about the show like things like oh the Klasky Chupo those years suck they look like garbage it's like oh no actually they look very good and here's their side of the story and also things like you know the principal and the popper. oh that's the episode that ruined the show no we re- we revisited that and it's like no this show this episode is a uh, very funny has a lot of respect for the characters like I like going into that conventional wisdom and taking it apart it's like oh Mike Scully the worst man in history he destroyed the show it's like no we talked to him twice he's the nicest guy ever he helped unionize the writers Yeah, like all of these things that I believed in I spent my all of my 20s complaining about the Simpsons and now I am like uh, getting those years back I- I'm making up for them by saying like oh no I was wrong about but so many things.
1: No, I, I'm I was just going to say, I'm really excited to talk to Mike because I like his sense of humor about it all. Like he was like, yeah, I'm down to talk about anything good or bad. He's like, bad's funnier. So you can really do whatever you want. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. He was so nice and giving with his time and just a fun, funny guy he was he just la- when in our first interview we with mike scully we apologized to him uh-huh. and he's like ah it's fine it's fine it's uh, i did
2: not, i never personally threatened him online but i was no, like that, that mike scully he's doing it again
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, for for so many years i had said like well you know mike scully he ruined the show or whatever you just you fall into these things uh, probably my 20 year old self was think would think now I'm a big sellout for, <laughs> for giving up my beliefs on that. But uh, cause I very strongly believed it at one point, but I, you know, the more, the more you learn about that stuff, the uh, it's, it, that's something we really challenge yourself on the show to do is just to, you know, this is what you thought when you were, when you saw it when it was new, what do you think now, or now that you've read all these interviews, what, what does this mean to you now? Like, with the Maud death thing, which I mean, Scully copped to. Uh, he's he's been very open about that in in so many interviews. Like that, most of them view it as a mistake, and it was done partially in response to like an actress wanted to leave the show over a pay dispute, and it just it led to a thing. They they all kind of regret now, and I I like that when folks like Scully can be honest about like that. Ah, look, I it, I shouldn't have done that, or it was a mistake. Like owning the mistakes, I think uh makes it is another thing that makes it easier to talk with with folks like scully about their time on the show
1: i'm sure that when you started talking simpsons you you had no idea that it that it would become your full-time job i'm sure that that hope was there or that you know like well this could become a thing um but what is it like to see it get to the point that it is now like what is that like for you guys
2: Oh, it's super fulfilling and I feel extremely lucky that I get to do this uh, and make it my job. And uh, that's why I try to work as hard as I can uh, on every episode. Just I need to find everything. I need to talk about everything in the correct way and not let anything slip. Uh, yeah, like uh, it's, it's been so great for the past uh, over three years now to have our Patreon and have it support us in a very expensive part of the country too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel, again, I feel very lucky and I'm very grateful for that and all the listeners that support us
0: yeah you know uh when we started doing the podcast, Bob did have you know a a a successful patreon for for his other podcast retronauts, but we still didn't know if we could do it uh and and also you know there is a bit of fear of like do we really quit our full time job even when we we were starting to feel like we're not enjoying our current job and we could start a patreon for this uh side thing just like you know retronauts have done and we we just kind of had to go like we are so fed up with this we just have (laughs) to hope that if we tell people please uh support us on patreon and we'll do a ton of extra stuff for us like follow us there and that we're so thankful so many people uh just at the start in the first month followed that we're like oh well, we this works this works financially and it just Uh, I now you know I wake up in the morning and it used to be, uh, oh God, I gotta get a, I gotta get on the BART, I gotta go, I gotta get on the train, I gotta go to the office and I have to do like seventeen meetings. Just like the frustration, I don't want this just turned into a bitch (laughs) about our old job. But the frustration of it was how hard it was to actually be allowed to make something. You had to justify every creative choice you made through tons of meetings with constant mental management. Now it's just me and Bob, we just talk to each other and be like, hey, we should do this. Yeah. And then we just do it.
2: And then it's done. And then yes. we move on to the next thing. And that's, that's sustained us.
0: Yeah. It's, it's being creative to this extent is just so great. Like it really is. Sometimes I need to, you know, obviously a job is a job, like even, even the greatest job is a job. And there's, there's, uh, there's days I was like, boy, I gotta, I'm still editing this thing. And it's six, it's six o'clock, but, but I still remind myself even, even on the harder days of just like, God, this is, everything I wanted to do creatively and I can do it now and not have to argue with my boss about my ability to create it. Like and that and Bob is like the best creative partner I've ever had. Oh thank you. And and we I, I joke many times of like well we 're the same person, so I know that we <laughs> have the same experience with this movie most of the time it 's true <laughs> so uh, it 's good to be on the on the same wavelength with with somebody creatively, so it it makes it really good too and and yeah i just I really do love the subscriber uh, being able to have a subscriber supported thing like that in the ga- in the games press industry where we worked in for the stuff we were creating online in the media we were told like well one person equals like a penny if you're lucky one person equals a penny and that's if they
2: watch the entire thing or yeah. you know scroll to the bottom of the article or whatever
0: and and to know that you know thanks to the economics of this that if you just have a dedicated audience of like a few thousand who are ready to support you doing what you do and they're they're behind you that much that can just be your job and that can be your full-time job. It's, it's, it's really empowering that, and that podcasts can be, you know, there's, there's definitely uh, the barrier to entry equipment wise is lower than it's ever been. You still have to work to make yourself stand out from the crowd. But I really love like that, what podcasts, the, uh, the openness of the opportunity of it.
1: What would you say that the biggest challenge is? I know there's a lot of great things about it, but what is the biggest challenge of Hmm. doing this full time from your, from your home?
2: I guess, uh, I guess you mentioned it earlier but I guess it, a part of it is separating work and home life uh, especially because uh, we can't really go anywhere right now so again it's easy it's hard for me to relax sometimes it's like I could be playing a game for a podcast I could be watching something for a podcast so it's hard to uh, delineate work and uh, play especially when you can't leave your home office right now so that's been a tough thing I, I was working from home before this uh, though I have experience with that so I've kind of always had that issue in my life but it's not like the worst thing in the world it's something i can get over
0: and uh and also yeah i'm with bob on that Uh, another another tough thing that can be is like the the technical stuff you talked about i didn't know this stuff uh when i started and it was scary to me of like well how do you really what do you buy what do you do like it it was very daunting and this was like you know five six years ago uh, even like editing my first podcast, I was just terrified of what even doing that was, so over time though i 've just learned so much that i I think the technical aspect is is not as challenging to me now uh, i I know a ton of stuff that I would be shocked if i <laughs> me five years ago would be like, "You know how to do that now but uh, no, i I think another challenge is uh you know always keeping up to date with good guests and like not just scheduling with people. And, and cause you know, the email tag on that is, is its own thing, but also like, uh, you know, not just falling back. We have, we have like a dozen or so great guests. And I'm like, we can just cycle through them every four months and just do it. But, but it's the challenge of like, no, 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 we need to, we got to work, reach outside of that group too, and, and find newer people. And we've like, we have a, a lot of first time guests coming up in the next couple months mm-hmm. now. So it's, uh, but, but that's always a challenge too, just of like, Keeping up, finding new people, and, and then reaching out to them and, and seeing if you can find their email,
1: their public email somewhere, <laughs> and, and hoping they reply. Well, you know, it, it sounds to me like you guys are both doing great. You're both getting ripped. Um, you're both <laughs> just killing it from home. So sure. um, it sounds like the only challenge is, you know, fitting into your t-shirts because Bob's getting jacked.
2: I know. I'm yeah. going to blast out of the small right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's, uh, this Mission Hills shirt I'm wearing has never been roomier right now. Oh, wow. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's awesome.
1: I've heard you guys, you know, I've heard you guys bounce around a little bit about your favorite season. Um, As you get further into the show, do you have a more definitive answer on that yet?
2: Oh, I can say that uh, for the first I mean I really want to know what my favorite season is from like the Scully four years and then the Gene 20 years like what my thoughts on those will be but uh, I feel like Henry will have the same opinion as me (laughs) because we are the same person in a lot of ways but going into the podcast I thought it was seven but I really feel like six is my favorite because it has who shot Mr. Burns in my favorite episode but also it balances the sensibilities between Oakley and Weinstein and also Dave Merkin in a very nice way where you get like the meanness and the uh, I don't know, not not quite um, the meanness and the biting satire of David Merkin and the more soft and nerdy qualities of Oakley and Weinstein in season six. So it's a great mix of both their sensibilities together, and I think that is my favorite season in terms of both writing and animation.
0: Yeah, as as far as bro- I'm talking broadcast now, not production, because that's a a big difference. Me and Bob have learned over doing this, but as far as broadcast goes it used to be 4 for me i used to say 4 because you know mr plow and monorail were two two of my all time favorites uh but going over it just not to repeat what bob said i would actually say 6 but not to repeat bob 5 is actually my favorite mm. now i think because you in broadcast you've got a couple leftovers uh from from season four. So you get some of the Gene and Reese stuff in there, including Kate Fear, won the all-time best. Then you've in season five, it's so wacky and zany, but you still get great uh Bill and Josh stuff in there too. Like uh, especially the sweet Seymour Skinner's badass song. Oh, yeah. And and also I just think the the animation is great, I think, in season six and seven and four, but I think five has the best animation. Uh, overall the show hmm. ever had and the the treehouse for season 5 oh, yeah. is my all time favorite treehouse and the best animated episode the Simpsons ever had I would say so, yeah. you
2: yeah. mentioned 4 Henry I think part of the conventional wisdom we've helped overturn is that 4 is the best and I still think it's one of the best TV seasons ever but sure. in the run of the Simpsons the back half feels kind of weak mm-hmm. and then we learn like everybody is tired and about to leave the show
0: <laughs> most <laughs> half the people are quitting and they're also like going like ah Conan, you're new here. Rewrite everything. Like yeah. we got to go. This uh, these all these people quit. Like I remember <laughs> when we
2: got to the front, and we were like, "There's a there's a not great season four episode." What where were we? Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, and by season four
1: standards, it's not great. it's Still a good. Yeah, episode it's still a good TV, episode, but it's yeah. just
2: like, oh yeah, there are four is a little uneven in places, and uh, there are better seasons than four. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely team six. Um, that's why my name is Bart of Darkness. <laughs> um, I've told this story before, but there's no deep reason. I just like the way it looks when I typed it for a screen name. Um, but I, so I've been rebuying, I have all the DVDs except for season 18. That's a, a big pain in my ass that I didn't buy season 18. Cause now it goes for like $150. Um, so I oh, had to buy like it. Yeah, yeah. it's It's, it's it. super rare.
2: I bought that in 19 upon release because I'm like, I have to support this uh, billion dollar company or else they won't (laughs) give me the things I want.
1: I I bought 19. For some reason, I was like, oh, 18 will go on sale and I'll grab it. Um, So I ended up having to buy an imported copy just to have it, which doesn't even work in my DVD player, but um, it it is going for so much money. And so now whenever I see an early season, if it's sealed, I'll just buy it because I feel like they're going to disappear. And I bought five recently. At a second in Charles, it was still factory sealed. And, you know, just sort of in the car, just glancing at it. I'm just like, man, five is such a perfect season. So even though I'm team six, I think five is a really close runner up. And seven. I think seven is a close one also. Oh,
2: yeah. And going through the history of the show, uh, something that we just we kind of learned through research. And then I think we all kind of knew in the back of our heads. But like, oh, season five is basically like an 80 percent new writing team with a showrunner who had never done animation or The Simpsons before. Like, it's a miracle the show survived that Mm. massive changeover. And five is such a strong and different season.
0: When you hear the behind the scenes stories and like it was... Not everyone was receptive to David Birkin coming in at yeah. first, and there was some there was some friction on the team. I think everybody's friends now, but when Merkin was new, it sounded like there was some problems and to think that like that is when you hear about that you're like this is a recipe for disaster this this is how a show becomes bad in the fifth season because everybody left at the end of four and they hired somebody who didn't work for the show and instead <laughs> it just like succeeds so much and i mean i think too that uh, on the writing side not only did bill and josh kind of come into their own and swartzwelder they they those Schwartzwelder and Bill Josh just write half of that season alone. But then the other writers, like they hired Greg Daniels, like yeah. you know, who's who creates every TV show now, and is, <laughs> is is a genius He's in real. his own right. Yeah. So they, uh, you got to give it to Merkin uh, to a degree for just like the staff he built and the team he made. Even if there was some behind the scenes friction uh, at first with him coming in there, like they, the results were pretty great.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, so I'm, I'm going to hit you with two that are a little difficult, um, but I'm, I'm sure you guys got it. If you had to make a list of the absolute best episodes, uh, do either of you have a top three or what are the your top three each?
2: Ooh. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> well, number one for me is it's got to be... Um, so number one for me is... Uh, these, these might be all be season six episodes, by the way. So number one is Who Shot Mr. Burns? I think number two would be Itchy and Scratchy Land. And to mix things up, uh, I would say number three, how about uh, Mother Simpson? But ask me any other day and I'll probably have a different two and three from that same <laughs> time period. Uh,
0: not to repeat, Bob, uh, the, it, of, of Bob's in my top three, definitely would be Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 2, uh, Part 1, but... No, nah, Part 2 is great too. But also, I another one that really touched me was Bart's Comet. I just really... Bart's Comet is... Crazy funny, but also the the heartfelt ending works. Like everybody singing the song with Ned after after sending Ned to his death, <laughs> and then they all meet him like that one just gets me. And I, you know, definitely Treehouse Four is up there with uh, Devil and Homer Simpson, especially. But I, I'm going to say my third is. Homie the Clown because I think that yeah, is like it's a good
2: one. Also, it's, also, season six, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah.
0: It's, six is so fucking. Good. Homie six the Clown, is amazing. Homie the Clown is not like the most heartfelt, and it is so crazy. But it is the the craziness is perfect. It's like the perfect Schwarzwelder script. I mean, the watching Ned get shot over and over again is one is one of my mm. most like laugh out loud things ever. Yeah, and, and David Silverman, it's like the last one i think he fully directed for a while and he's just doing everything perfect like it's it's such a great episode i it'd be easy for me to just name another type top 3 but i am going to go with this i mean itchy and scratchy and Poochie is really high up there for me too just for the behind the scenes in this of it and it's one of our longest episodes we ever did so oh, I think yeah. that that shows how big <laughs> of, of fans we were of <laughs> it
1: It's, it's an impossible question. I mean, you know, like, like Bob said, it would, it would change tomorrow. And I I think mine changes all the time. So when I've been on podcasts or been asked, I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, bar gets hit by a car all the way. And then of course, like the next day that's different. So it's, (laughs) it's not a real question, but it's fun to make someone on the spot name three. What is the absolute worst Simpsons game?
2: Mm, Oh boy. (laughs) Yikes. Uh, well, I have the benefit of... Uh, in 2009, I did a blog post for every one of those games in, um, for OneUp.com, the website I used to work for, and I will go out on a limb and say uh, there are different eras of them, but I still think Bartman meets Radioactive Man is the worst because it has nothing to do with the show or the comics, and it is a reskinned uh, version of a Swamp Thing game they never made. <laughs> so, uh, and, it, and it controls the worst. It just it's 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 miserable. Like the the 3D games, there's a whole new different level of badness there with 3D games. But I will say that third NES game is a real stinker.
0: I yeah, I think for a time I thought it was like Simpsons Wrestling, but there is a certain level of. There's a, once you get into the Polygon era, it does feel like there was a certain level of quality control that they wouldn't just let anything acclaim games they could just publish whatever they're just like look acclaim did you put out a game good you you finished a video game i uh i will defer to bob on what is the worst there because yeah he's he's the main source on most wiki pages for simpsons uh critical reception yeah i'm cited
2: (laughs) uh dozens of times uh for pages that no longer exist but they did at one point (laughs)
0: Though I do think Escape from Camp Deadly is close to mm. as bad as Bartman versus Radioactive Man. I think Escape, is a bit, but that's because it's on the Game Boy, so it has even less graphical horsepower to pull off what it's trying to do but yeah i mean we talk about terrible simpsons video games quite a lot on the uh i'll endorse another podcast the how did this get pa- played podcast we we finally did one for bart versus the space mutants and at the start we they asked like is this the worst game and we're like actually no. there's like five worse ones <laughs> they're like well why why'd you pick this one it's like well it's the one everybody played after this one most kids were like i'm not playing more simpsons games if they're as bad as space Mutants.'"
2: Made fools of us all, but what great box art! Uh, The great uh, Bill Morrison.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. I will actually say that I prefer Camp Deadly to Bartman. Um, I actually prefer Camp Deadly to a lot of them because at least it's you know you understand what you're doing and it's not as intense of of an experience. Um, Space Mutants has you know destroyed my life for a really long time, (laughs) and um, I don't think I ever beat it as a kid, um, but I beat it as an adult, and it was very special. Wow! I was finally, able to beat it as an adult, um, and I think you know all those NES games are, are pretty bad. Um, I do, I do like Bart's Nightmare, but I still think it's bad. Um, wrestling and and uh, skateboarding are terrible. Um, mm-hmm. But luckily for me, I do own the arcade machine, so I can just play that whenever I want.
0: That's very good, Ben. <laughs> I I hope I pray someday that you know they're making all these arcade case recreations of like classic games. They, they just did one for the Ninja Turtles game. And I really hope Simpsons gets in there. I mean, they have to likely it's about, they have to make a deal with Konami with, I would assume EA because they have the Simpsons license now and then Disney. And it's just, it's a lot of people to talk to and a lot of deals to make for what probably will not sell a ton, but it'd be so cool if they did, I would pay, I'd easily pay $200 to have that, uh take up space in my limited space <laughs> of an apartment and just sit there. Like I had a friend who owned a Neo Geo stand-up arcade machine, and it was cool the first day. And then it was just a huge chunk of his kitchen just was unusable because he had that.
1: Obviously, you know, you guys do a lot more than just Simpsons. You guys mentioned retronauts a little bit. And how do you balance the workload between all your podcasts, like both on your channel and Retronauts and everything else that you guys do?
2: Well, every podcast we do has somebody as the producer, and the producer will be the one who usually gets the guest, but they'll also be the one who uh, handles the editing either by themselves or through an editor. They get all the sounds, and we try to split that up pretty evenly. So yeah, every podcast we do has one of us being the producer, and that's the same for Retronauts as well, where one person takes charge.
0: Mm-hmm. So that that helps balance it out a lot, and also just a lot of it really just comes down to planning. Like we have like three, I think actually three different documents of like planning things out and and having things set. Like okay, we do this this day, this this day, and and that that helps a lot. Plus, yeah, in the last uh, year, we started using more um, editors. We used to just edit it all ourselves, honestly, because like it was. A hard to afford an editor at first to to pay someone to do it, but we our patreon's doing well enough now that we can fit it into our budget of of hiring professional podcast editors who who can turn them around, and that also gives us more time to prepare and make notes so so that really helps and and also you know me and Bob eventually we can recognize when we 're doing too much and putting too much on ourselves like we i think it was. We were working so hard into December of last year. (laughs) And then we were just like exhausted after a four hour recording of the movie podcast. We do the What a Cartoon Movie monthly podcast. And at the end of that, at the meal, we're just like, Boy, I'm tired. We we should do just one less each month. What if we did? Yeah, that? Just we, like two less episodes in each week. We
2: were on the exact same page, like immediately, and we figured it out. But yeah, we do treat this like a job, and that's the way we've been able to make it work. There are schedules, there are documents. We check in with each other about everything. We you know uh, check each other's posts when we post things. Uh, we uh, we try to run a tight ship. If we didn't take this seriously, then it would be much more difficult to uh, you know. Have retain the audience we have and keep this sustainable.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and same with just hitting deadlines and getting stuff up on time if, if they're checking in with each other and knowing like, oh, okay, hey I, I just uploaded this or I just uh, I just got a confirmation from this person like just keeping in contact with that that's that's been really uh, important a key to, mm-hmm. to keeping this going yeah.
1: You know, obviously, the reason for my account on Instagram and uh, and on Twitter is because of my collection. The whole reason I started an online profile was, you know, to share what I have. And what I really like to ask people, as far as the merchandise is concerned, is what are your memories of the merchandise? Like, is it is it pretty vivid seeing the floor to ceiling displays? Did you buy much of it? What was what is your memories of that?
2: Oh yeah, I, w- I was there for Bartmania, and I didn't actually get a lot of the stuff then. Uh, maybe like. My, the highlight of my life was like, uh, my youth was like getting the Bart Simpson Cool Your Jets Man t-shirts my mom brought home from JCPenney, but I was there and uh, really coveting that stuff. And yeah, I do remember just the initial blitz of all the merchandise, which included the bad video games as well. <laughs> uh, and only later in life have I begun to get get the rare piece from that you know, old merch line here and there. Like, I, I did keep the Burger King dolls that I had as a kid. And uh, then I've been able to pick up a few odds and ends here and there. I still have my Mystery of Life board game too. Uh, that old board game. So yeah, just just uh, uh, didn't really participate much in that initial blitz, but I was definitely there for it.
0: Yeah, no, I I probably own more toys because my mom spoiled me <laughs> with so many toys, uh, not just of Simpsons, but like, yeah, from the original run of stuff, I I owned so much of it. And when you, when you share things that came out like before 1993, I can remember a lot of them, like not just, not just books like, you know, Bart's guide to life, which I lo- I read that ever page to page and just every, every bongo comic that came out in the first two years, but, but also like the, the Mattel run of toys uh, from the first set. Like, I'm pretty sure I had all of them and, and the couch and TV, uh, that went with it and, and I prized those for the longest time. And same with the, uh, I had the Simpsons board game, uh, the, the, the one with the like tiles, you got to flip and all that. And then it challenge you to have a belching contest, like had that. I collected every card. Like I had a huge collection of the, of the trading cards in the first two runs and, And uh, which also I split with my brother too. We, we shared most of those things. And, and I also had the bed sheets. I had the Simpson (laughs) sheets of the whole family. I, I think it was though. uh, Yeah. As I got older, when there was the second real surge of merchandise around the 10th season, I was buying that less. I, I still bought a little of it, mainly just the books, like the the episode guide, but I wasn't buying the new merch as much as I was the, the old merch, probably because, you know, I had become really big into Japanese animation. <laughs> and so those anime VHSs took most of my allowance. I, I didn't have money to get a uh, a new Todd McFarlane toys Homer for oh yeah <laughs> like
2: when um when I was uh, in the early two thousands I was working one of my first jobs at the video game store that's when all of the the were they Playmates toys coming out the ones yeah, the, yeah all of those lines were coming out and I was making five dollars an hour. Uh, at a video game store and i'm like I, I would buy all of these if i could but uh i i didn't buy any of them and i kind of regret not buying the ones that came in but uh i i love seeing them whenever they were coming like the play sets and the new figures i was like oh they should have made these when i was a kid mm-hmm.
1: yeah the, the world of springfield line is definitely like one one of the better more you know well it's not really recent anymore but i really like the ugly toys like i for me like the weirder and the uglier and the more obscure like all the bath products from the UK and Australia. Like I just love all of that stuff. I can't get enough of it. And um, it's funny that I, you know, you talk about uh, Bart's guide to life when I, I feel like that's one thing that anytime I post it, people just lose their mind. And, and what blows me away about it now is that I'm shocked. It was that people let their kids read it. I mean, it's like how to convince your parents to give you money. Why hell is cooler than heaven. Like there's so many jokes in that book that are just not suitable for a young brain
2: yeah looking at it now, it's like that is basically life and hell for kids, yeah, and uh I could see what he was getting away with there and then actually as as a kid, I started reading life in hell because I'm like the the Simpsons guy does this, and I'm sure I was reading a lot of stuff I shouldn't have been reading but again, I gotta thank Lax parenting for getting me to where I am today uh,
0: and also Simpsons Illustrated like I oh that too yeah, I had to rebuy a couple uh because when we started this, I, I was like, Oh, I want to read my old Simpsons illustrated. But then I remembered I, like, I'd read them until they were tatters. I did <laughs> not take care of them. Like I took care of some of my comic books. And so I just reordered them. And it was so, so cool to see like these vintage interviews or like, there's, I think of the, uh, the first one of the second year of Simpsons illustrated, there's just an entire page. It's like, here's what's happening in every episode this season, like a log line for each one. That was so cool to look at, but but now what I appreciate most and going back to like most of the original line of art is when I can see a bill Morrison drawing. Cause like his in that era, he was the best Simpsons artist. Like if you wanted in the nineties to see a Simpsons character drawn correctly to look right, like that would be it. And oh, I should, you know what, actually there's one piece of Simpson memorabilia that I always collected and always stayed up with. And that was the calendars. Like I had the first calendar, the 1991 calendar that came out in the late 90s, I had that, and it's just been a thing for the last 30 years that my mom buys me a calendar for Christmas and like I don't buy it myself. It has to be a gift <laughs> given. So 30 years I've had the Simpsons calendars and I always, even as a kid, and I love that they keep it up. It's not just like a funny drawing of the Simpsons for each month, it's that they have you know interesting birthdays and funny uh, history stuff in there that definitely also feels like the Matt graining touch like in Go- Bart's Guide to life of like oh wh- why not just shove in a little trivia here isn't that fun to add in I love that little flavor
1: yeah and the um, you know speaking of Bill Morrison I'm, I' I've long said he's the best I mean he did you know most of the video game box art it's all great um, he did uh, he was one of the artists on Bart's Guide to life. Um, you know, anything that Bill touched um, is probably one of my favorite Simpsons drawings. I completely agree with you there. Um, so, well, what, you know, I guess the next question was how much of, of the stuff survived from your childhood? It sounds like some of it did.
0: You know, for me, just a little bit that my, and that's all thanks to my mother saving my <laughs> calendars. Like I, so if, if you are a Simpsons calendar owner, you know, in the center is basically a gatefold, a, a poster you can, put up and so every year the process would be okay time to put up the new simpsons calendar and then the old one becomes a poster and when i moved out of my house uh about 15 years ago my mom she took down all the posters she's like i'm gonna save these so she saved those calendars and that and some of my simpsons comics from the first year of bongo and also my original uh, the episode guide i purchased in 99 that survived, but maybe a Bartman toy here or there is still around, but basically everything else is is gone for me.
2: Yeah, as for me, like uh, the Simpsons stuff was the stuff that I did retain through adulthood and carried with me through like a bunch of moves. And there's not very much of it. There's like five different five different items. But I was, not, I was not really a toy boy like Henry. I was, The second I discovered video games at the age of like five, I'm like, this is what my life is going to be. I cast all toys aside. I can tell you the three action figures I ever had in my entire life. I had like three <laughs> uh, because I was like, no, I could buy a video game instead or uh, like 10 action figures is one video game I could play. So like the, the odds and ends of Simpson stuff I've carried with me through life. And uh, still have my apartment today and we'll be carrying them through other apartments as they continue to deteriorate. But the box (laughs) for the mystery of life game is still uh, holding up pretty well.
1: Those, those board games actually hold up surprisingly well. And um, you know, I actually don't really have anything from when I was a kid. I had all my posters didn't last because I destroyed the corners and they got thrown away. You know, most of that stuff got thrown away. And you know, I, I grew up sort of, you know, we, we didn't have a ton of money, so I didn't buy a ton of toys anyway and I think that's probably why, um, in my mid twenties, I decided to collect Simpson stuff because it's like all this stuff that I wanted that I didn't have. I can, I can just buy it now, fill this room up.
2: Yeah. Actually, I just had a memory. Like uh, my grandma passed away about a decade ago and, uh, we lived with her for a period of time and I was living in this room in the basement. And after she passed away, we were going to her house to clean stuff up. And I took the Bart Simpson poster, uh, the classic eat my shorts man poster. He's like coming through a circle with the word bubble, eat my shorts man. And I am pretty sure I have that somewhere in like a tube that I did save. So a vintage 1990, uh, bad boy Bart poster from, uh, that era.
1: There you go. That's good stuff. Yeah. A lot of the posters are great. I just recently took down my, uh, which is something I did have as a kid that I really wanted to find, which was the tombstone mail-in poster. Do you guys remember that at all?
0: Oh no. I didn't. So, no,
1: so, no. so tombstone did like a promotion in the, in the, I think probably like 94, but I remember buying the pizza and asking my mom to get it. And we mailed in like the proofs of purchase and got the poster. And it's this huge 24 by 36 poster. That's like uh Bart's like tips about life. And it's basically just him being a little, you know, a little asshole. And um, I found one of those a few years ago and I framed it, but it took up way too much room on one of my walls. So I had to, give it the boot, put it in my storage box. But that's the poster that I remember the most from. Uh,
2: I'm looking at it now, and I have never seen this before in my life. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> it's uh, Tombstone is the pizza with Bartitude, which uh, <laughs> that, they should have been on those commercials. I don't recall this at all.
0: And uh, I had the original, the big poster I had that didn't survive my move was the uh, the promotional one for bongo it's like bongo is coming and it's bartman and radioactive man like with their arms up in front of a light it's a classic like superhero spotlight pose that's that's yeah. done i i love that one but it was it was printed also on like very it wasn't poster style paper because i think it came from a magazine but it it got beat up but then you know, like my original copy of simpsons simpsons uh comic stories that one-off that was the practice for bongo i was so excited to have a simpsons comic book that i and waiting four months till bongo started i just read it over and over again until it fell apart i i again had to just buy a new one of simpsons comics and stories
1: yeah the the poster you're talking about i'm pretty sure that came with comics and stories okay all right and yeah. and and there's also a, a cover that bill morrison did for the previews um of that year that has bart and radioactive man on the cover like sort of in a pose and when you open it up it's milhouse holding a flashlight on bart against a radioactive man poster and i think that's one of the funniest jokes it's so good and when we interviewed bill morrison it sounded
0: like he was just burning the candle both ends it's like well you got to draw these comics but also you know we need they're, they need promotional art for uh, promoting Bongo in this comic in, in like, Wizard. So who's going to draw that, Bill? You know, you, <laughs> yeah. you got to draw the Also,
2: promotion. to find the look of my new show.
0: <laughs> yeah, also that, yeah. The, to find out what Bill Morrison did for Futurama was eye-opening. Like, I, I had no, I mean, he's credited in it. Uh, it, it's not like he went uncredited, but to know how much and how closely he worked with with Matt Groening to define just everything in Futurama is it gave me t- even more respect for for Bill Morrison.
1: Well, well on, on that same point, that makes that's funny because a while back um, Bill was actually posting on some different Simpsons collector groups. Uh, some of his old line drawings of different art he had done and he couldn't even remember what it was from. He's like, can someone please tell me what these things are from? I don't even remember. (laughs) He just had so much of it. And people were like, Oh, that's from this VHS set. That's from this game. This is from this trivia game. He's like, thank you. Thank you. So that's, you know, he was really cranking it out when he has very little memory of what it was actually used for. (laughs) Um, What is, what lesson tip trick, anything would you, uh, do you wish you knew when you started podcasting?
2: Ooh, I oh, might need a second for this one. <laughs> uh, I Did guess. You? Oh, okay. I'll, I'll do it now. Uh, that uh, it took me a while. I think this is all something that most people should learn in their twenties is that um, don't be self-effacing because uh, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> And it's not cute, it's just it makes you look like you have no, um, you don't really have a lot of faith in what you're doing. And if you don't, I kind of don't want to listen to you. Like, I did that so much as a defense mechanism, like, I made a crappy thing, who cares, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like the sooner you get over that, the more people will be into wanting to hear you. Uh, And I think that uh, that's an important part of being a a content person or a creative person. Uh, That's an important thing to get over and to get more people on board with what you're doing.
0: Yeah, you don't. You know, you don't want to uh, be too like. You know, it's not saying like be full of yourself and just have a giant. But but don't if you overdo it and, and tell everybody like oh, I'm sorry, I made a bad thing, or you had to suffer through this. Like it, uh, it, you need to have more faith in your audience that they they like what you do. You know, I and and I'd also say like to to my uh, younger self starting in podcasts like have. Have more confidence uh, reaching out to guests and stuff too. Yeah. Like no know, know that you know People want to do podcasts, and they they're open to it, and and be be more ready to to meet new people. You know, it was hard. Uh, I I was a very shy person. I think I am less shy now, but uh, even even doing all that work in the games press, which involved you know getting to know new people and everything, even after all that, I still was like it, it was tough for me at first to send a message to somebody for the first time to be like well, I don't know if this person will want to be a guest and uh, they probably won't. I won't send them a message and say, I'm, I'm very happy I got over that. And so I, I would definitely say to to do that
1: earlier. Yeah. I, I really like hearing that. I think that's really good advice. And um, luckily for me and for everyone, I'm, I'm very full of myself. So I think my podcast is going to be great. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we talk to uh friends who want to start podcasts and sometimes uh their response is just like, "Well, who am I to talk about this subject?" It's just like, "You have to be the per you have to believe you're that person because ultimately, no one granted us the authority to talk about this. We weren't like given badges by 20th Century Fox as a- official opinion havers. We just were like, "We're going to be the most informed people." And I think uh not to brag, I think that in the terms of podcasting, we're up there in terms of like the amount of work we put into uh just this one topic.
1: Mhm. Yeah. Totally, I completely agree. Trust me, you know, and I, and I don't just you know I'm not trying to just bury you guys in compliments, but again, I've been there since day one. I I think what you do, what you guys do, is great, and that's why it stands out to me as an influence. And I think that's why it stands out against the other ones that that do exist. Not not to say anything bad about them, but I think it's true.
0: No, uh, well, hey, bury us in compliments all you want.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll bury the competition.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm talking about. Um, so. You know, lastly, I I guess, you know, I want to know is what is the wildest part of watching your podcast grow from just a hobby to a job and what surprises you, what surprises you the most about things that you've gotten to do up to this point?
2: Oh God, just like uh, watching something and seeing a name on the screen, be like, oh yeah, I've talked to that guy or he sat next to me at a live show and also... We have been doing those uh, lately for some reason, but uh, to think that I have done like all of these live comedy shows, I, like if I would have told myself this ten years ago, I would not have believed it because I was also very shy. I could not imagine myself performing in front of an audience. But yeah, that's been a real uh, treat, and I can't wait till we can do it again because it's it's scary. But having done so many, it feels like that is such an accomplishment that we've been able to, you know, uh, fill an audience. Of uh, of li- of a live show with people who are into our stuff, it it just felt really great.
0: So so much, yeah. The 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 light getting to do. Getting to do even one show at the San Francisco Sketch Festival was huge for me. Like uh, me and Bob were loved attending them and going to the many great shows at SF Sketch Fest. Getting to participate in it the first time was was so huge, and and uh, it was still great the most recent time. But it was also it felt really good to be like, oh yeah, Sketch Fest. We've we're, we're Sketch Fest veterans now.
2: Yeah, three years in a row. Yeah. Hopefully and, there'll be a fourth year.
0: And and also i mean to another moment of like wow we've made it kind of thing um was getting invited to uh, simpsons table read that was only possible thanks to the podcast and, and folks we got to know i mean especially uh, Nick Perer of the uh, Found Footage Fest. Uh, he really loves our show too, and and was a great guest. And he just knew somebody who knew somebody. He's like, you know what? You guys deserve to go to a table read. I'm getting you in there. And like that, that was amazing. Like now, especially, it feels like they may never do another live table read again. Who yeah. knows? But but getting to do that, that was that was like oh, dream come true kind of moment. That really, it's. Uh, It was five, uh, geez, nine months ago, but (laughs) it still feels fresh. Like it's, uh, I I get excited about it uh, over and over
1: again. Yeah, the last the last like, you know, I said this recently to someone the, the last few months have felt like years. So who knows how long time really is anymore. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, well, you know, I, I guess that's about it. You know, I I, I want to know what you guys have coming up. What can we what can we look forward to? And, you know, what what are some things you guys want to plug?
2: Oh, okay. Well, of course, we're Talking Simpsons, and uh, we also do a show called What a Cartoon, and those are available wherever you find podcasts. Uh, but our Patreon is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. You sign up there to get things a week ahead of time and ad free and also access to the 100-plus bonus podcasts we've been doing for the past three-plus years. That includes all the interviews with people we talked about today. And uh, we also have miniseries. The most recent one we did was Talking Mission Hill. We went through all of Mission Hill, and we'll have a new mini series this fall just for patrons which will probably be more talking of the hill or talking futurama based on what our audience prefers but we're always doing uh, our main series and uh, twice a year we do these little mini series as well
0: yeah the mission hill one was great i think it was our best mini series we've done to date because not only did we you know go through every single episode with fresh eyes but also we did a whole episode about the, the the unfinished scripts which was a ton of fun and then to do we'd we'd interview bill and josh separately but to get bill and josh together to only talk about mission hill and their their you know plans if they're able to do a new series was so much fun and so great like that i'm i was really proud of what we did on those and and i look forward to what our next mini series is going to be and also you know if you go to the patreon at the ten dollar level you also get our many what a cartoon movie podcasts where we do the same for super in depth on movies as uh varied as a kira to a goofy movie. We we do it all. Yeah. So I uh, folks should definitely check that out. And I mean follow me on Twitter at H E N E R E Y G.
2: And I am uh, Bob Servo on Twitter.
0: Oh, and our official Twitter account for the podcast, too, at TalkSimpsonsPod. We sometimes uh, even share, out not just when new stuff goes out, but also just fun drawings and memes, like uh, our, uh, the artist, our, our main artist for our, our podcast, Nina Matsumoto, also adds tons to it. And, and she is an incredible Simpsons artist in her own, and just artist, just mm-hmm. incredible artists. So there's, there's lots of cool stuff on there
1: absolutely well if anyone cares about my recommendation if you haven't listened to talking simpsons i don't know what you're you know i don't know what you're doing it's a great podcast i listen to it all the time and as well as a lot of the mini-series and things like that so anyone who hears this that hasn't listened to it yet please go listen to it as soon as you can and bob henry it was awesome to talk to you and hang out i hope it won't be the last time and uh, i'll definitely see you guys soon oh yeah we yeah, same to here again thank you if you enjoyed this podcast check out the official Instagram at Simpsons is than or follow me on Twitter at Simpsons is great. If you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, just search for Bart of Darkness on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for checking this out. I'll see you next week.